Okay, so we're on episode two. Episode two. Episode two is Who Killed Amber Bennett? Some of my content has mention of extreme violence, sexual assault, and or other triggering content. Discretion is advised. So remember the last episode, it ended with this fire alarm going off. And I don't know that we explicitly said this because I don't know that it explicitly said this in episode one, but mm -hmm. Amber Bennett did die. Yeah. Um, so we'll get into that soon but um the way they do episode one it doesn't seem like this is a murder yeah. uh they it, it doesn't even seem like anybody died mm -hmm. right like it doesn't even talk about murder or anything like that right yeah um and so when the documentary kind of ends uh episode one with like this smoke billowing down the hallway and like a very dramatic reenactment of what is happening and i know i know that we like they mentioned Carrie and all that other stuff mm -hmm. it reminds me of Supernatural like yeah. so much of Supernatural like the the thing that makes me think of Supernatural if any of you watch that is like episode the one. first episode yeah the the girlfriend is up on the ceiling and the ceiling just lights in the fire everywhere like that's kind of how they paint it out to be yeah um and they don't go into huge detail about what happened here yeah like why was there a fire yeah and they don't really talk much about like what they discovered from the like the cause of the fire yeah. or anything they don't talk anything about it really they're just like it happened yep it happened bye-bye um <laughs> so it starts where we left off the smoke alarm is going off and there's smoke coming from amber's room there's fire everywhere. She says the curtains were on fire. It was just fire. So she picked up Amber and she ran outside. Mm -hmm. um, the people around Tina said that she would go hungry as long as Amber ate. And that she always took care of her daughter. And this was a lot of Jeannie, right? Yes, a so lot of Jeannie. Jeannie said that kind of stuff a lot. And mm -hmm. she was also like... There was other people who said stuff there, like there was that, more. It wasn't just Jeannie, but right. Jeannie was one of the big um, defenders of her. Yes, very um, much. And one of the things that one of them said, and it might have been Jeannie too, but she's like she literally ran into a burning room for her daughter. Yeah, do you think you she would do that and then turn around and hurt her? Right. Uh, so that oh, there was a lot of people defending her right here for sure. Mm -hmm. um, people close to them say that there's no way Tina killed Amber. Um, which they threw that in and I was like, wait, is this up for debate? What is happening? Right. Um, and we'll get into that. Trust me. Hold on to your ninnies. We're getting there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so September 1991, Tina takes Amber and just runs away. This is after the fire, apparently. Um, she went to Georgia. I recall from part one that she had an abusive husband. Yes, yes. So that's what she's running away from. Yep, she's kind of running away from everything, really. Right, yeah. Um, and she goes to Georgia to be with those doctors and the people that helped her when she was younger. Not like... It didn't sound like formally, though, right? Like, it didn't sound like they invited her. It sounded yeah. like she went to be where they were. Right. Because she was having stuff happen, and she mm -hmm. was, like, 
I need help, but it wasn't like before where they're like, you can come live with us and we'll run tests. Like it, right. it seemed like, yeah, I mean, you can come live around us, but we're not like doing that same thing. Again. Yeah. There, I wish they went into more detail on this because it did seem like they invited her there and then was like, okay, bye. Yeah. Like, I mean, they, they didn't go do your thing. They didn't dislike her or anything right. like that, but they're like, you're an adult now. So yeah. like you go live your life. And then like, if you start having paranormal stuff happen, then like, we'll come by and check it out. Yeah. But it was not like in the same, uh, sense as it was before. Mm-hmm. It was almost more like in a, in a personal way at this point, rather than a professional where they're like, I don't know if he was retired or what, but it was almost like he was, I don't think he was retired, but it was almost like they were like, yeah, we'll, you know, we'll help you out and stuff and make sure you're okay and everything. And like, if paranormal stuff starts happening, we'll come check that stuff out. But at the same point in time, we're not going to like, um, take you in and help you take you in, have a whole big deal. Like we had before we had somebody tied to you 24 seven, you know, all that stuff. We're not going to go down that road again. Well, it was probably because she wasn't producing what they wanted her to produce. The so, first time, yeah. The first time, yeah. And so they're like, yeah, we're not we're not doing that again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, this was the only place that, so, that like, felt safe to Tina. Yeah. Um, she got into low-income housing. Meanwhile, when Tina was trying to take care of Amber and was struggling to just make ends meet sometimes not eating to make sure amber ate dr bill was selling a book and using tina's story to make money but then not giving tina any of the money at all and i think i think it was said that he told her that she would get some money Mm -hmm. from it but never saw any of the money from it yeah so um that was yeah that was implied that she never saw any money from that, but it was like, that could help you out that I'm doing your story. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Tina, at this point, got with uh, Jeannie, and she was like, I want to write my own story. Yep. Um, so, her and Jeannie start writing this story, um, and Jeannie says that Tina, all she wanted was to be self-sufficient. She wanted to do things on her own, pay things on her own, make her way in this world. And I don't know how that feels sometimes. Um, So Tina was finally doing well. She was confident. She was doing really good. And she met her boyfriend, David, around this time. Things started looking really good for Tina's future and what was ahead for them. Um, Then on April 10th, 1992, David was babysitting Amber when Tina got home. Amber had a cut on her head. David told her that they were driving and Amber jumped out of the car and ran. He chased after her and when she looked back, when she looked back, she fell and she fell and hit her head. The next day, David said that Amber fell down the steps and landed face first in the gravel. He said he was asleep on the couch and she got out and fell down the steps. She had a big goose egg on her forehead. Later, they saw Amber coloring, so they figured it was a good sign and that there wasn't like a concussion or something like that. And so the the big moral of all that is stories changed a lot. Yes. And that there was injuries this on Amber. This point, 
I rewound about five times because I was like, what is the rest of the information? I don't think they gave us enough here. Well, and I, I, maybe they didn't have it from the stories because so he declined to be interviewed. They, I think they, they stated that a little bit, right? No, I think they said on the things that David declined to be well, part of the story of what happened. He tells it uh, when he talks. He talks to pol like police and like, but I don't know that he ever gives directly to ABC News. Oh right, no, 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 he didn't. He declined to tell anything to them. I'm saying he did. Like interrogation, interrogation. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. where we get his side of the story. Right, right. It, but Sorry, he declined. Yeah, no, but he he did decline. But like, so he didn't elaborate on. It. He elaborated as much as he would give a police officer, which it was almost like he was mm -hmm. being intentionally confusing. Yeah. To them and mm -hmm. misleading and just changing his story. Um, which I'm. I was sitting there. I was hearing all that, and I was even hearing it all as you were describing it. And like, so much of it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, right? none like, of that. None of that makes sense. Like she had a cut on her forehead from getting out of a moving car mm -hmm. but the moving car she didn't fall she ran but she turned around and looked back at him and then fell but got a cut on her forehead which mm -hmm. was on the front of her so she was running and then turned around and fell on her face like i it just doesn't none of it makes sense when i'm trying to picture any of it mm-hmm um, she, she fell on the stairs. She, you know, had like the goose egg and they talked about the goose egg, um, and the concussion side of things. It just, it all just feels very incoherent. Yes. It feels very weird. So the way that the documentary did it also, this was the only part of the documentary I didn't care for because I don't think they gave us a lot of information, which could be true. They didn't have it, but they also made it seem like these were two separate stories and not two separate events. Yeah. These were two separate days. And I wanted to make sure that I put that in there, but I had to rewind it yeah. a couple times to get that, okay, it's not two different stories he had. It's two different days. And they don't even make it, they don't even make it clear how close it is to the main event that we're talking about here. The main thing. Right. So I kind of sorted this out, right? So they said April 10th, 1992 is when the event happened where she got out of the car okay the next day amber fell face first on the gravel okay but then the day of everything happening didn't happen till april 14th so f these things but all they make happened. it seem like this like, was very close i know that's how i heard it too yeah, yeah i heard it as in like this this was like day day and then day but it yeah. wasn't there was some time in there well i mean 10th to 14th is only four days and three True. things happened so it, it was kind of day 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 but i heard it as like hour 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 like right. i i almost heard it like it happened and i don't know if i just missed part of it but it to me it seemed like it happened like Within the same day, mm -hmm. you know. This is something I want to go back to once we tell the rest of the story because mm -hmm. this there's a lot. Timeline's important. Timeline and, is and very these important. These details are important, and this is very important. So we will revisit this. Remind me. Okay, so this happened. Then, according to my what I had taken from, and I didn't do any extra research. This is all from the documentary. There was four days in between. April 14th, 1992, Amber and Tina get up late. 
David had had the day off. So Tina was going to leave for work at noon. Now she is leaving to go to Jeannie's house because she is writing that book. Mm-hmm. So that that's her work. She's gonna leave at noon to and go to Jeannie's. She do she does something else with Jeannie too, right? Like uh, um, work wise, like it's not just the book. I thought wasn't she also like some assistant to Jeannie or something I too? I think it could have been like she was typing and stuff. But I do know that like her they main did the, work was yeah. They, yeah they did the book together. But I think she mm-hmm. also assisted Jeannie in what she does and for her day to day thing too. Yeah. Um, so Tina asked Amber if she wanted to go and Amber crawled into David's lap and said she didn't want to go. So Tina left and she left Amber in David's care. Right after Tina left for work at Jeannie's, um, that's not true. Not right after. I don't know why I put that. She left. So then Tina had her full day of work. So it was, Mm -hmm. what, six hours, I think is what we determined? Yeah, I think they said it was something like that. Um, Tina did her six hours, and she had left for the day. Um, Right after Tina left her work, um, David called Jeannie's house and said, should I call an ambulance because I can't get Amber to wake up? Jeannie tells him, no, wait for Tina. She should be there in a minute because this was a small town. I think the travel time was probably like five minutes down. And she's like, she'll know what to do. Yep. She'll know what to do. Just hold tight. I was mad. (laughs) You took a big deep breath on that one. (laughs) I I was so mad. Small town or not, your kid isn't waking up. You call 911. You call the ambulance. I I didn't have a problem with Jeannie at any other part in this until Mm -hmm. that part. That part, I was like, Jeannie, what are you doing? Like, if a kid is not waking up, you call the ambulance. You don't wait on her mom to get home and then the mom decides to call the ambulance like Mm -hmm. that's never okay you call the ambulance right then this was a point that i i didn't understand in the documentary either because so he calls and says that he can't wake her up right right well let's let's continue with the story here tina um instead of going straight home which what she usually does she stops at a convenience store um, gets like a pack cigarettes of cigarettes and, and a drink or something. Yeah, something like and that. And she pulls up to the house and David is standing at the top of the stairs saying he couldn't wake Amber up. Mm-hmm. So that is when Tina kind of goes into action. But let's go back for a second because where you were saying Jeannie should have said no, call an ambulance. Mm-hmm. I agree. I'm not saying I don't agree. But what I think that the documentary did, or maybe the people in the documentary, I'm not really sure which, but I remember them saying that, was it like, you can't wake her up from a nap? Like, she's so tired that Mm. she doesn't want to get up. So, like, David's phrasing, maybe? David's phrasing could have been, like, Jeannie just thought it was, uh, um, like, she just doesn't want to wake up. Doesn't want to wake up, yeah. 
Okay. So it's like, so, hey, I mean, like, let's say to your child, like, hey, let's wake up, let's change your if diaper, that's what it is, do I'm, this or that. If that's what it is, I'm sorry, Jeannie. But, like, I took it as he can't wake her up. And like Don't that's, use those words unless it's you cannot wake her up. Right, and right? that's yeah. So I, I, I maybe I can maybe I can walk that back a little bit and be like, all right, Jeannie, I'm I'm sorry if that's what you interpreted it as or okay. if that's how he said it. But the documentary gave me the impression that he said that he couldn't wake her up, yes. and she just and he, I mean, he and he asked about an ambulance too. Right, like he asked about if he should call, mm-hmm. uh, and then she's just like. She'll know what to do. The mo- you know, when when Christina gets home, she'll know what to do. Right. So just wait for her. Yeah, and I'm not making excuses for Jeannie. I'm I know, saying there was some weirdness You have a there. good point. You have a good point that maybe it could have been phrased in a way that I just to me, the documentary. I heard it like, why wouldn't you call? Why wouldn't David just call? I know. <laughs> why, why did he call Jeannie? Right. First, like, and, why would he even wait? Like, call Jeannie, then call your wife and be like, "Hey, you yeah. need to get back home." But right. like, you know, if you can't wake your kid up, you call the ambulance first. Yep. Um. So let's recap here. They can't wake up. Well, David cannot wake up Amber, mm-hmm. and Tina is at work. So when she gets home, um, he says, "I can't get her to wake up." And she scoops her up. They drive in the car. Weirdly, before that, she goes, um, she's like, David, I swear if you let her sleep this long. And he's like, no, I can't wake her up. Yeah. So, like, she thought, like, in her words, she was like, I thought he was saying, like, she has, she slept for a really long time. She yeah. had, like, a really long nap. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, no, I can't wake her up. And then she freaked out. Yes. Yep. Very good point. Um, Tina runs in the house, scoops her up, and puts her in the car and says to David, go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. So she's holding her in her arms. She does not say specifically either way if she is giving like any amount of it really says that. They do like a dramatic reenactment yes. at this point and they don't really well, say she, she's Tina says like all I could think about was getting her oxygen. So maybe she was. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. But it's small details like that that you just don't know and it drives right. me absolutely batty. But we might not know because Christina and David may have never said that part of the story. Right. Like, I I hesitate to blame the documentary on it because they can only use what information the people give them. Uh-huh. So, like, we might not know those details. Right. So, they took her to the hospital. At the hospital, they tell her, we got a heartbeat, but then there's no brain activity. They kept asking Tina what happened, and she kept saying she didn't know because she wasn't there. Mm -hmm. David just kept saying, I'm so sorry. Um, Amber then did end up passing away. They got no heartbeat, and she passed away. They said that just a couple minutes later, two detectives came in the room. The detectives say it was obvious that this child had been severely abused. The detectives took David and asked Tina to go along to the police station as well. David was now the top suspect in this case. So, thoughts on that little bit? I'm trying not to jump ahead. Yes, it's (laughs) very hard when you know the whole story. Yeah, when you know the whole story, it's hard not to jump ahead. Um, So... Let's talk about the severely beaten part, though. Yeah, so obviously they 
were already kind of uh, alluding to some things that they were saying could have been uh, caused some of this trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll talk more when they get into describing what the trauma was to her and what the injuries were and things like that. Mm-hmm. But, like, it feels like they were kind of uh, already dumping out some, like, explanations before we even got to that part of the story. Yeah. Uh, we're like, yeah, just letting you know, some accidents happened in the days leading up to it, and so that might explain some things. Right. Um, the severely beaten part was what I really latched onto there, mm-hmm. because that is not something police or doctors or... It's not I'm something up. that casually gets tossed out there. Yeah. I'm not going to say police because I don't think they're necessarily like seeing the child right away or seeing uh-huh. stuff that's happening right away. The doctors right. who see child abuse cases, who know medically what's going on. These are medical professionals. Right. I don't think they say severely beaten lightly. Yeah. They probably don't. Right. Because they have a medical right. grounds for what that severity is Mm -hmm. so that really like in my head it was like it's a red flag it is um because up until this point we have not heard of any abuse from david on anything we have not heard from christina christina saying there was abuse we've not heard of anybody around christina saying that she would do stuff like that right it's just kind of out of the blue yeah um so like I was almost kind of expecting, like, this tragic accident to happen. Mm-hmm. Like, cause, because I've done a lot of kid cases. So, I'm yeah. thinking, like, was it, like, she drowned? Was right. it she... Because I knew she had died. Yeah. Um, I was like, was there this tragic accident The happened? trailer kind of gave that away to where... Because yeah. otherwise you wouldn't have known until yeah. that part. It, they, it was kind of... That was the one weird part to me was it was like they didn't want to let on that mm-hmm. something that that had happened to her yeah but also they kind of hinted really really strongly at mm-hmm. that had happened uh so it was just kind of you know they're like something big happened and but at the same i don't know how to describe it it was like they they told you what was going to happen but didn't tell you and then it happened mm-hmm. yeah I, I just i did not expect severely beaten i didn't I really nothing talked about <laughs> it. Yeah, nothing led nothing led you there. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this was the great the crazy part of this documentary, and this the part that's supposed to stand out the most, right? Is they brought out this mannequin. Yep, that was the part that stood. I'm I'm glad you said that was the part that stood out most to you because the mannequin stood out the most to me too. Yes, and that's what we have to remember going forward is this jury saw this. Yep. saw this. So this is this mannequin. It is a child size mannequin. And it's supposed to show all of the injuries that were on Amber's body. Blue dots are bruising. Mm -hmm. And Amber had blue all over. Um, A lot on her stomach, a lot on her face. If you can get a picture of it, it'd be good to... I will try. If we can. Yeah, we we don't know if we'll be able to get it because it came from the documentary. But Mm -hmm. if you can and you guys are watching either the video podcast on Spotify or on YouTube, it'd be good to see this because it is... It's jarring. When you see it, it says more than what we can say in words. Yep. So that was the bruising. Red is to show cuts. So mm-hmm. that is to show lacerations 
on Amber's body. Places where the skin was broken. Skin was broken. Yeah. And there was a lot on her face. Yeah. Um, and other places as well. But, I mean, this whole this whole mannequin's covered. They, I mean, it, it's, so, it's really sad, but there's it blue and red dots everywhere. Yeah. So this child was very severely beaten. Very, very severely beaten. There's no question. And there, I mean, I, I do remember there being more blue dots than red, but there yes. was a lot of red dots for, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, any, like a kid having like one or two, okay, they're kids, but right. like this was a lot, yeah. a lot. So, you know, my career, um, right. I, <laughs> I dealt with, um, well, I worked in childcare. Mm-hmm. Um, and in preschools and stuff like that. And when you're a child care worker, you are a, help me out with the term, you're a mandatory... Mandated, mandated reporter. Mandated reporter, yes. So mm-hmm. if you see child abuse, you have to report it. Yep. And also, we go through extensive... Well, I did. I don't know about everybody, but I personally went through extensive child abuse training. Mm-hmm. A lot. Like, every time I got a new job position, or every year, I think... Was you, you used this training. to you used to tell me you'd come back from these trainings and like say how horrible the things that you had to see in these trainings were mm-hmm. the videos and yeah. just we saw kids that were addicted to drugs um that like born drug dependent which was the most horrible thing i've ever seen in my mm-hmm. life um kids that were s abused kids that were emotionally abused, kids that were physically abused. I mean, the whole gamut. Um, So I've seen some pretty bad stuff. And what they tell us is, I mean, you're thinking of, and this is, how old was Amber? Four? Three Three, or four? Three or four. I think it was three or four, yeah. The majority of of like bruising and things on a child under three is going to be knees, elbows, head every once in a while i mean they got that big head they're falling yeah they're crashing into things but what you're seeing mostly is knees and elbows feet and sometimes head um this baby mm-hmm. had severe like facial trauma mm-hmm. severe stomach trauma and that's when you know that it's like a abused child is a child under three, there's not really an excuse for mid trauma. Right. Like from like your torso. Your trauma. your shoulders to your yeah, yeah, like you said, your torso. And especially your stomach. That is somewhere someone's punching. That is or kicking. That is not they're falling. Right. I mean a little bit here and there, but I'm talking about the extent that this was. And the facial trauma that's that's usually hitting. Um, yes, falling can happen. Like, he talked about her falling off the stairs. You can get a big laceration on your head from that and that not be a child abuse case. But what we're seeing is bruising around the eyes, um, and a lot of facial trauma. When you talked about the, the gravel too, I feel like that was trying to excuse more bruises Mm -hmm. and the fact that he's like gravel, there's a lot of places that can cause bruises with gravel. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like, I, I don't think that explains it, but I feel like he tried to explain it with that. Right. Or I don't remember if that was he or she that said that, but I think it was he that said that. Mm-hmm. I think it was David. And I mean, kids are going to fall in their little behinds, but right. she had the back of her legs, her bottom was mm-hmm. extensively. And I mean, that's a place people whip. 
Yeah, and and they talk about this, and you're probably going into this, but they they say we never saw Amber physically. I mean, Christina. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, that's okay. Christina never physically that they Mm -hmm. saw physically abused Amber in front of people, other Mm -hmm. than they saw her spank her. Right. And they said they're like they just were like yeah people do that like people Mm -hmm. choose to discipline their child different ways but that was they're like that doesn't mean she did this these other bruises or anything like that but that's they that was the one thing that witnesses were like not not witnesses but like acquaintances friends were said about amber sorry christina was that she did that that they Uh knew of right that they know of um so this mannequin is jarring very very it's so it's so bad like you guys do need to see it it's so bad Mm -hmm. because it just when you see it you're like how you know it's abuse yeah i mean i i'm not nearly as trained as sarah is on this obviously and i saw it and i was like that's not okay that's not like that's abuse Mm -hmm. like there's no accidental way of explaining that no kid has that many bruises and abrasions without it being abuse. Yep. Um, so let's get into a little bit of what's going on here. So when David was interrogated, he said that it must have been Christina because the two of them were the only ones that were with Amber. Tina and David were arrested for murder. Like they were arrested on a lot of different. And we we got back up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. You you originally said that um, they were taking David to the police office or to the police station to interrogate him, and Christina was going along with David. Mm-hmm. Yep. But throughout this, with David saying the things you just said, mm-hmm. that it must have been Christina, they decided to take Christina into a separate room and interrogate her. Yep. So they were being interrogated separately at this time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not married, so they that's fine for the police to do. Yep. Um, but they, they start interrogating them kind of separately, or questioning, mm-hmm. I should say. Interrogating might be the wrong term but i thought it was interrogating and i think yeah yeah because i think quickly it was a they realized it was going to be he said she said yeah and they didn't they didn't have any they needed to get something right they had no proof of either one of them there was no witnesses yeah there was no witnesses there was no so yeah um so um okay let's see tina was not allowed to go to the funeral of her daughter this case became very popular very fast everyone in the community viewed her as a child killer and they judged her a lot um of course as the news does they're gonna bring up your past christina's past with paranormal activities came up fast and it was all over and they judged her a lot from that. They called her a witch, and that did have something to do with this case, for mm-hmm. sure. Um, both David and Tina are saying they didn't really know what happened. They both said they did nothing to the child, but neither knows what had happened. So this made it very hard for the case to try in court. Mm -hmm. Um, The investigators say that it's obvious that all the bruises and cuts didn't happen in one day. Yeah. Um, So they believe that David was the abuser and that Tina should have protected her child. 
because it was her child. Right. The, they, they said this multiple times that mm-hmm. it it's her child, so therefore it's her responsibility, not his. And they were very clear about that being uh, a huge factor. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, Tina was charged with one count of malice murder, which I had never heard of. Um, felony murder, child cruelty, and an aggravated battery. All of these counts were backed by evidence that they were seeking the death penalty for. So they had enough evidence from that child that they said, we're going to seek the death penalty. Um, and they, were, they were also charging David, too. Yes, I was just going to get that. I think they didn't come out and say that David was the exact same, but I think he had the exact same charges. They, I remember they said he... I, I, now I'm like 95% sure because I don't have it in front of me. But I think they said he had four charges against him. But I don't know okay. what the four charges were. It was probably felony murder, child cruelty, aggravated battery, well, and malice murder. So it would yeah. have been the same. So, yeah, they, they were probably trying them equally. Mm-hmm. One thing I thought was weird, uh, and you're probably going to get into it, but I feel like Christina's case was first. Yes. I, I don't know why. was first. It probably was the luck of the draw. That's that's really sad because that does play sad. into the events coming up. Yeah. Um, and it could have been also her lawyer. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the events that happened with that. So, whew, all right. There's a lot of information here being thrown at you. Yep. <laughs> um, so, let's just say they were both charged with the same thing because I believe that that to be true. Um Jimmy Barry was the man that was Tina's lawyer. Telling you two first names. (laughs) Although I think this is a different... Either way, close enough. Right. Uh, Zero of Jimmy's clients had received the death penalty. He was big on trying the death penalty cases, yet zero of them have received it. Which, okay, so I will say the first time I heard that, I was like... First first thought was, that sounds like a good lawyer. Like, yes. he was a good lawyer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, until I realized why yep. Zero yep. had gotten the death penalty. Then, then I was like, mm. A light bulb goes off. Yeah, I'm like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. Because my mind doesn't work in, in that way. Where mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah. Yep. Um, even her lawyer believed that it was a hard case to get out of. There had to have been evidence that we weren't seeing. Um, with this because yes I think the autopsy says a lot it's, it's got to be fully off not not fully mostly off of the autopsy it has to be because she was not even there when they think this happened yeah she actually has an alibi yeah she has Jeannie right um, and even David says she was not there when yeah. this happened so, like everybody's in agreement that Tina was at work right That is insane, but we'll get into that. (laughs) So, um, Jimmy Berry decided that Tina was best off if she took a plea deal to get out of the death penalty. You say say that again, because that's important, and I want to make sure I heard you right. Jimmy Berry, who was Tina's lawyer, decided that Tina was best off if she took the plea deal to get out of the death penalty. Okay, so, so we're not going to court. We're so taking this a plea is, deal. and this is not Tina 
thought it was best if she took a plea deal. Her lawyer thought it was best that she took a plea deal. Yep. When Tina is still maintaining her innocence. Yep. Keep that in mind. Yep. And I say that in the next sentence. Oh. <laughs> but Tina wanted everyone know to know that she was innocent and didn't kill Amber. She mm -hmm. was very... She stuck to that. I didn't do this. She was like, I don't want the death penalty, but I will not admit that I did this because I didn't do this. Mm-hmm. So Tina decided to take the Alfred plea. Um, no true crime podcast. You hear that a lot. I don't know actually, it as well as you know it. I know. I've, I've heard it. I've heard it, but it really isn't that popular. Really? I feel yes. like I hear it. Maybe it's just popular that true crime podcast <laughs> podcasters like covering Alfred cases. I don't know. I don't think that the Alfred plea is something that the court system wants you to do. Right. Um, I don't think it's a very popular choice. Um, so if you know this podcast, the last time we heard about the Alfred plea, I believe, unless I've talked about it with you, is with Joe. I explained the Alfred plea on a case where that <laughs> so and so B was <laughs> guilty. She was guilty. She knew she was guilty. There was evidence that she was guilty, but she did not want to plead guilty. I, so I keep thinking this. I'm like, did, did Casey Anthony take the Alfred plea or no? She didn't get anything. Think she so. got acquitted. Yeah, Never mind. She, got she got acquitted. acquitted. So no. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm trying to think. So no, let I, me explain. I again. remember you talking about what that with Joe. So go go back and listen to our earlier episodes mm -hmm. because I feel like that's one of the places I actually heard it. Mm -hmm. And it was a kid case, um, which is you know probably hard for me. It, it always is hard for me to listen to. Yeah. Um, so let me explain what this is. This is saying I maintain that I am innocent, but I recognize there is enough evidence against me to convict. So the Alfred plea for a lot of people is saying, look, there's enough evidence that I'm going to get convicted in court. That you're going to convince the jury that I did yep. it. There's enough here that, okay. But I don't want to say that I did it. So in that earlier case, there was enough evidence to say that she was at the hands. She was the reason her daughter was killed. Mm-hmm. She didn't ever say she was innocent. She right. just said, you have enough evidence to convict me, but I'm going to plea the Alfred plea so that I don't have to say that I'm a terrible mother. And so you you all might be thinking like I was. Mm -hmm. Why would the courts be okay with that? Why would they be okay with somebody using the Alfred plea? And this is my thoughts on it. And let me know because this is your area. You're way better with this stuff. I probably won't even know. <laughs> my, my my thought is, and kind of based on what they said in this this documentary, was that um, the courts were not sure that they actually did have enough evidence to prove it was her for sure. Mm -hmm. So they for them taking her her doing the alfred plea it was a sure conviction for them uh -huh. it was a sure case closure it was a sure conviction without having to risk um and at this point she hasn't taken the alfred plea but just them saying it was an option was them saying actually in a way being like yeah like you can do this we'll close this case and we won't have to risk 
not getting you or David. Mm-hmm. But we, you know, you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I guess I, I'm kind of losing my train of thought. But um, they get the conviction. They get their mm-hmm. closure. They don't have to worry. And they can take death penalty off. And it's just. Well, when it comes to this case, I think it's like, okay, we got this witch kid killer who was a terrible mother who was, you know, this was her fault because she. All circumstantial, but Mm -hmm. it could convince a jury. Yeah. It's everybody in the community saying we got her, Mm -hmm. but yet them not having to go through trial. Right. And possibly not convicting her. Right. Um, so Tina states that she was forced to do the Alfred plea by her lawyer. And don't and I, forget they have the, the, the one key piece of evidence was the mannequin. Yes. Um, and the, from the medical examiner and mm-hmm. then what they translated to the mannequin. Yes. That is the one actual, cause like I said, everything else was circumstantial except for the mannequin and the, the abuse and things like that. Mm-hmm. We, so I think what they're saying is we know someone abused this child. One of the two of you did. Yes. One of the two of you abused this child immensely. It could have been both. Um, we are trying them separately. <laughs> and I think it honestly, like, it did come down to them swaying one way, then swaying the other. And I'll get, I'll get that way. I'll yeah. get to that. But... She says she was forced into the Alfred plea by her lawyer, and she didn't know what was happening. And Jeannie. Yeah, Jeannie really plays this as, oh my god, this is that. I'm sorry, this is really not not nice of me. Well, I I know, but I kind of get on Jeannie for this part, too. And I I don't think Jeannie is a bad person. Yeah. But Jeannie, when you see the documentary, Jeannie is Jeannie. Yeah. I don't know if you're going to the same part I was. Are you talking about her going to the courthouse? Yeah, and she runs through the hallways. She very much makes it to, like a movie. Yes, I ran through the hallways to try to find her to stop her from signing it. La-da-da-da-da-da. She's like, I got there before the signing was supposed to happen, mm-hmm. and I checked every room. Yeah, she said she checked every room in the courthouse. Well, sorry, guys. Uh... <laughs> My bad. So we are, if you've noticed, we're in different clothes. And the reason why is because I let my phone die. Uh, And so you guys missed a really good last half of an episode. So we're re-recording it. Um, Again, my bad. But it was good. So we'll try to make it good again for you when we record the rest of this here. Yep. So when we uh, left off, you guys two seconds ago (laughs) (laughs) right before the cut of the phone shutting off right um we were talking about her taking the alfred plea um and she did do that she said she didn't know what she was doing um but she did take the alfred plea so where we're headed now is what she ends up getting for that yes and um, this is where I'm trying, so I gotta remember exactly where we were because it's actually been a couple days. Um, but uh, with this part, what we're going to talk about is uh, the area, right? The small town area that she was in and how that might have played into her sentencing and her um, um, 
perception, I guess. We talked a little bit about that before. Did we? Okay. Yeah. So I'm backtracking a little bit then. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess go ahead with what the verdict is then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I promise I'll get caught up. Yeah. All right. Um, so Christina ends up getting life in prison plus 20 years. And the plus 20 was big, right? Yes. That is a big thing. That doesn't normally happen. Um, that is insane. So the, um, this is what I remember Sarah going into the last time was the plus 20, uh, really affects her trying to get out, right? Uh Like if she's up for parole and things like that, it's going to make her harder to get out on parole. Yes. Her going up for parole and it being plus 20 years, they're going to see that. They're going to see what charges it was, that it was a child and it's going to make it a lot harder for her to get out. Um... But I think what the main thing in the documentary that they try to really talk about is her conviction um, in compared to David's conviction. Yep. So it was turn. It was then time for David's turn to go through court. The lawyer in David's case said that this is Christina's child and that she has the responsibility to this child. Christina ended up testifying in David's trial and said she wasn't going to lie. She had never seen David abuse Amber. But according to Tina, David did lie and say that he saw Tina use excess force against Amber. David was acquitted in his trial on everything but the child cruelty charge. David got only 20 years. So Christina ends up getting life in prison plus 20 years. David ends up getting Just 20. 20 years. Yeah. Um, the investigators said that they can't, they cannot prove that David caused any of the major injuries. But at the same time, can they prove that Christina did? Yeah. Right. They. they I don't think they can. They basically were like, we can't prove that he caused any of the major injuries, but we also can't prove that he didn't. Right. So. We fast forward a little bit. 30 years later, Christina is still in jail. We get some background on some people that were wrongly convicted. Um, And at this point, all I could think of was Maggie Freeling, which, to be honest, all I ever think about is Maggie (laughs) Freeling. (laughs) Um, Do you remember who Maggie Freeling is? I don't. I was kind of, that's why I was kind of quiet there. I'm like, maybe if I don't say anything, she won't call on me. Like in in school, (laughs) when you don't know the answer, you're like, I hope the teacher doesn't call on me if I just act like I'm paying attention. (laughs) So she was the one that did the documentary about Mara Murray. Mm. Um, But now she focuses on the wrongly convicted. Okay, so... Mm Yeah, so she was not a case. She was the um, the investigator. Yes. Um, yeah, I remember her now. And yeah. she's smoking hot. <laughs> well, that's Sorry. why I remember you talking about her. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she does a lot of documentaries about that. She was not in this documentary, uh, but if you want to see Maggie Frayling, hit me up. I can point you in that direction. <laughs> Um, (laughs) So we get the story of Marty Tankleff, um, who was convicted of the murder of his parents. And I actually might want to do this case at some point. It seemed kind of interesting. So Marty was released and went on to practice law. 
Um, he and a group of his law practicing friends have a class where they review wrongful convictions uh, with undergrad students. Um, I have to talk about these three women who are badass <laughs> who are fighting for Christina's case. Um, they are basically women studying law and they are deep diving into Tina's case. Uh, they said that there was gender biases in the case. They favored David over Christina. Uh, while they were talking to the police, it was clear they didn't know who actually killed Amber. They thought someone beat her to death, and it was Christina because she was the mom. But when these three women are talking to the cops, they're like, we don't really know what happened. And it's like, how can you put someone in prison for life plus 20 years when you really don't know what happened? And see, I, I hate the... I, I hate that thought of it that, like, because she was the parent, she mm -hmm. obviously did it. Because... And, I mean, it... It's There's not, so many parents or step-parents who do this to kids. Yeah. And I'm not saying all of them do, but there is a lot. Yeah. Well, and so what I was gonna say is, like, um... There's it, just... Yeah, she could have, but it doesn't mean she did because she was the parent. Because the, what are you going to do if somebody was like, you know, right there that did it and just like mm, her and just points at her and they're like, yeah, well, that makes sense. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you got to put more thought into it than that, I guess, is my, you know, that shouldn't be the deciding factor. Like, well, she's a mom. That makes sense. Yeah, you're good. Yeah. Um. So we go into a lot of it later on that was really loud sorry <laughs> my phone um we go into more of it later but my my kind of thought is i don't know who did it i don't know if david did it i don't know if amber did it i don't know if they both did it but i don't think you can convict on the evidence that they have just from a law standpoint it is very hard to say that they did the right thing. See, so, okay, this might be where you and I differ a little bit. I think that... I actually think that they probably should have convicted both of them because mm -hmm. of what the evidence was in terms of, like, what the coroner found and the bruises and the cuts and things like that and the mannequin that we talked about. Um, one of them was abusing her mm -hmm. or both and one of them was witness to it but not necessarily doing anything about it um which i i know that gets into a gray area right like abuse i mean you've taught me more about abuse and from what you've learned in uh you know working in that field you've taught me more about you know you can't just leave abuse right right like it's there's consequences when you leave abuse and a lot of times when you leave or try to do a restraining order which is a oop an order of protection which i would not have known without you mm -hmm. <laughs> um a lot of times when you go to do that it ends up making things a lot worse so i get that but at the same point in time I think they both had to be held responsible for what happened to her because it was definitely a, abuse, I think, that caused it, in my opinion. Yeah. So when they were talking about um, all of her bruising and things, um, I was like, if David is the one who's doing this, she had to have known. 
Yeah, there's because no way you can. There is someone bathing that child, changing that child, making sure that that child is clean and going to the bathroom. How are they not well, seeing and it's all not those even like, So they even kind of talked about it. It's not even all like under exactly under clothing under areas. Clothing, yes. Yeah, it's it's out in the open too. So there's no excuse, no yeah. excuse for not knowing. They they. If one of them was doing it and the other was not, the other one had to be aware. There's no way mm -hmm. they couldn't have been. And yeah. they they say, okay, well, he, you know, David explained it as she fell, mm -hmm. right? She fell on the gravel, uh, things like that. So she's saying that he explained it away. And so in my in my mind, I think, you know, what she's saying is, well, that, that explained the bruises to me. Mm -hmm. And... I don't know that mannequin I, I go back to that and that's what the jury was so, the biggest piece that you know that was going to be a hard time for for anybody um for tina or for uh really if they had uh his name was david right uh -huh. if, yes. if they had pushed on tina or really david too uh if they had gone that far into david's trial with it then um you see that mannequin you're like there's no way you can't think it was abuse. Right. Uh, you know, you're not going to think she fell on gravel because there's so many dots on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I just, I don't see how, if it was one parent and not the other, I think the other one still needs to be convicted of some something more than just a little small crime for yeah. not saying something and not doing something to stop it i do agree yeah because they do have the evidence i guess to back it up it's just they don't know who the yeah. evidence belongs to it's like you don't know which one to give the bigger sentence to right but they both deserved uh, something pretty and and they both got something but mm -hmm. like 20 years versus uh life plus 20 is a pretty big disparity for mm -hmm. not knowing and i think that's the bigger issue is which one should have got the 20 which one should have got the life plus 20 should it have been more even should it have been like 40 and 40 you know like should it have been life and life like i don't yeah i don't and know we can go deeper into that at the end because yeah. we do talk a little bit about you know all of that but as we near the end of episode two what I think the documentary is saying this is like the biggest piece of evidence and what is very interesting is those three women who are studying the case, um, they found after reviewing the injuries to Amber that all of like the one, the fatal blow, I guess is what you could call it most likely occurred on David's watch. Yeah. Um, so, April 14th, 1992, David goes to the unemployment office because he lost his job, something that Tina didn't know. He comes back between 10.30 and 11 and Amber is sitting in front of the TV. This is according to David's statements. At about 12.30, Tina takes David's car to go to Jeannie's to work. Around 6.30, Christina drives up and David comes out. He says he can't get Amber to wake up. Amber was, uh, okay, 
And that was about like a four hour gap, right? Or something like that, or maybe even more? Like From about 12.30 to 6.30. Okay, so that was about a six hour gap. Yep. Um, David is recorded saying that after Tina left, Amber watched TV, drank some milk, and then he took her outside where she rode the three-wheeler. At about 3.30 or 4, David notices that Amber is staggering around and getting sleepy. So he put her to bed. She went to sleep with no problem. Then he couldn't wake her back up. The medical examiner says that the cause of death is head trauma. She had a subdural hemorrhage. The medical examiner says that it is unlikely that she was fine for a while and then deteriorated so much that it led to her death. He believed that this fatal accident or I guess it, it wasn't an accident. It could have not been an accident. So I don't know what you'd call it. This fatal incident, yeah. event was believed to have happened in those six hours. And these three girls that are reviewing the case have a lot of the evidence to back that up. And that is where we end episode two. I feel like we were playing charades there for a second. Sorry we both yelled at you. <laughs> she, was, <laughs> she was like gesturing with her hands and I was like, event. <laughs> like, I, I don't know, like we were playing charades. So they're going to get into this in episode three but um i will say that that what you're saying is the coroner was saying that so i think this fits in episode two so basically the coroner was saying i didn't have the i don't my job is not to do the window my job is to do the cause of death mm -hmm. and so they were like my job wasn't to say how long uh would she have been okay with that injury mm -hmm. uh, and i'm guessing unless they're asked right they probably if they were asked that in court they would have said this well i don't know if they know that but like sure. they were yeah they were they were kind of like though like that part isn't like because i thought they were the ones who said uh basically that that it was an it was another corner that another did a review. okay so it was a review of the case gotcha mm -hmm. but like the initial coroner still like their job is to determine the cause of death and the manner of death um mm -hmm. in which they um would just say like blunt force trauma or something like that right they're not gonna say like oh yeah it would have happened within like um an hour of the blunt force trauma like that's mm -hmm. not what they usually say so it just nobody was asking the right questions i guess was my point nobody was like hey if if this injury happened to this girl how long would it and this is on the initial case how long would it have been that she would have been okay for nobody mm -hmm. asked that because and according to these three women she didn't get the proper defense uh -huh. uh, because the attorney was just wanting to take the Alfred plea. Right. Uh, because he was wanting to... It, it's implied that it's because he was wanting to keep his perfect no death penalty record intact. Right. <laughs> so the questions weren't asked according to these three women, and that is why they believe her defense was not very good. Um, exactly. 
and uh, I will also say that I think the non-experts didn't believe that when they were told that that's where I was worried it was getting into episode 3 so I might hold off on that one but I will say I don't think everybody agreed with the experts re-examining of the coroner's findings they're like mm-hmm. uh, I don't know that <laughs> yeah you know normal normal DA speak kind of stuff where they're just like I don't know that that's true mm-hmm. yeah you don't know that it's not true either right just, uh, there's so much unknown in this yeah but you're right that is wrapping up episode two um mm-hmm. so what are your thoughts as we stand um I'm just ready to get to the good stuff, which is in sort of in episode three, and then more so like our opinions at the end. Well, um, tease us a little bit here. What's what's the good stuff? So uh, we talk a lot more about. There's just there's not a ton to go on, but we talk more about um, who is really responsible, um, who could be responsible. Um, more of the evidence kind of stuff. More of what these three women find. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Stuff uh, like that. Basically, when she's saying the good stuff, it's it's the case stuff, really, and it's the re-examining kind of stuff. Because mm-hmm. um, now, uh, as you mentioned, this is 30 years later, right? So this is kind of a re, you know, bringing back up a cold case, almost. Right. So... Uh, stay tuned and check out episode three. Yep, we're gonna come at you with episode three soon, soon, soon. All right. All right. We'll Bye. See you next time. Peace. If you guys are interested in any of these products, um, they are from On a Rainbow. Um, I will post below. Um, I also have a link for fifteen percent off. So check that link out. All right. Thank you. Bye, guys. guys i just wanted to say i hope you enjoyed this video if you like any of the content for code 187 please click that subscribe button that like button that share button help us out help us grow um you can find us on your favorite podcast platforms um yeah check us out on there give us some ratings um tell us what you think we're also across every social media on Code187, so we're on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, I think that's it, um, and of course YouTube. So please, please, please subscribe um, if you like our content and spread the word. We'll see you guys next time. Bye.